Why, hello, Thrivers. What is a Thriver, you ask? If you're a Thriver, it means you're a fan of this show. That's right. While you're all Thrivers in my heart, there's a more official way to become one, if you catch my drift. Go to www.patreon.com slash MrThrive to become a patron to this exciting opportunity for exclusive content, live updates, experimental media, insights, and more, all to keep you more in the action. Become a Thriver today at patreon.com slash MRThrive. Enjoy the show. You have stumbled upon Stars of Tomorrow, where every Friday I, Mr. Thrive, interview someone like singer and songwriter, Sir Jeremy Green, who is yet to be discovered. This up-and-coming podcast talks with the up-and-coming Jeremy. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Right on. Yeah, no, I'm super stoked to have you here. Uh, I've been wanting to record you for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. Uh, With this podcast episode, we're going to do something very special, where every 20 minutes... We're going to uh, play a song from your EP that just came out. What's your EP called? Uh, my EP is called A Thousand Years. A Thousand Years. And what, what did it take to make this EP? Well, uh, it took a lot of time. And uh, it's, it's really sort of a... The reason I named it A Thousand Years is because it feels like a thousand years that I've actually released music. You know, I was in the Army from the age of 18 till 25, 26. And so I didn't really have a chance to release any music or and I've just started taking music uh well I've been working on my music professionally now for about three years now that I'm out of the army so uh this whole project was a mixture of uh me learning myself as a musician and uh all the experiences I was tied into one and yeah that's really awesome if that uh, answers your question no <laughs> no it totally does and right now we are gonna play uh, the first song from his EP. Uh, remember, one of his songs will be dropping every 20 minutes on this podcast episode. Enjoy.
Jeremy, I really do like your music. It's very, it's very calm. It always has a really deep message. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we talk about your music, uh, I wanted to bring up something that you actually just said during the warm up as we were doing the sound check for this podcast. Mm-hmm. You were talking about clicks of the future. Can you can you elaborate on that concept for a little bit? Because I think it's a very important idea that mm-hmm. kind of encompasses what this podcast is about. Yeah. So clicks of the future. I'm uh now in the process of reading this book uh, by one of my professors and. Who at my previous college, uh, Musicians Institute, and uh, his name is Bobby Borg, and uh, he wrote a book about a uh, it's like a business one on one for DIY musicians or DIY musicians, do it yourself musicians. Yeah, I got you. And so uh, <laughs> it's a passage in there that talks about clips of the future, as uh, it talks about how we should all, as upcoming musicians, podcast or uh, videographers, producers. We should all want work amongst each other at this moment now, uh, before the fame, you know, building those strong relationships. Because who knows, in 20 years, you could have the biggest podcast in America. I could be the 17 Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter, you know? So I think it's, it's important for us now to build these relationships. And, uh, yeah, 20 years from now, who knows? I, I couldn't agree more. I You mm-hmm. know, I really do like that idea. And... Uh, in order to to further elaborate on that concept for for clicks of the future, um, I've been thinking about this, and this mm-hmm. is only a concept right now. But right now, social media wise, for this podcast, there is an Instagram and there's a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking about creating a Facebook group, and the reason why I want to create a group is because I want to turn Mr. Thrive Stars of Tomorrow into a networking group for industry professionals. Um, that would be dope. You know, it would not just be for filmmakers. It'd be for singer and songwriters like yourself, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. It'd be for dancers like Isis last week. It would be for anyone who is entertainment based in any capacity would be there. Because in this podcast, it hasn't been exclusive to filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Even though that is my niche, it's been open to everybody. The very first uh, interview was with an author of a book. And now, uh, I'm in this really exciting point where it's like, okay, how do I expand my network? I have an idea. 
I'll just make the network mm-hmm. and I'll base it around this podcast. So people in the podcast will actually be in a network environment where you can meet them, pick their brain, and potentially collaborate with them in the future. And that's what I want to create. Would you, Jeremy, would you personally jump on a on a group like that? Hell yeah, man. Let's do it. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to do that uh, starting in January. Right on. And it'll be a once a month event where we all meet in a certain place. It could be mm-hmm. a bar, a restaurant, any kind of venue you could imagine. And we'll all do that. Funny enough, though, I wasn't planning on bringing that up. <laughs> it, just, it just, you brought up clicks of the future. And I was like, mm. this is a great idea. I like that. Bro, because people don't understand, like, we're all going to be somebody one day. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. And, of course, time and uh, endeavors will weave out the ones, you know what I mean, who, I hate to say it, who don't have tough skin. But, you know, yeah. one day, everyone who keeps going and, you know, believing in ourselves and keeping that dream and hope alive, you know, one day it's going to happen. You did bring up a certain nature of the beast that, that isn't acknowledged enough on this podcast, but, you know, it is a competitive environment and it mm-hmm. is survival of the fittest, uh, unfortunately. But at the same time, there is a fortunate side to that, and that is to ensure that quality is produced. Yeah. And that's what this industry is always asking for. That's why I'm fighting so hard to get my my neck in the ring, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it takes, whether it's a podcast, whether it's the scripts I write, and and same for you, the mm-hmm. music you make, the music videos, you were talking about the sacrifice that you always yeah. put into this. Uh, what are some of those sacrifices? I oh, hear? yeah, man, it's a sacrifice, brother, let me tell you. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, you were talking one, about... getting About the sacrifices, well, for one, you know, a lot of people don't see the sacrifices, you know, they see the artists and they see the... They see the product, but they don't know what comes behind it. You know, the long hours of writing the music and uh, those short few moments that people don't believe happen, but they happen. Like, you know, at some point in your career, you're going to doubt yourself. You know what I mean? Right. Like, at some point, it's just we're human. One day you're happy. One day you're sad. Right. One day you feel talented. The other day you don't. I mean, you're human. And uh, so there's a lot of sacrifices with time, and you either have to choose between like for now instance it's uh, almost thanksgiving and it's like uh you're gonna choose to fly home and see your parents or you're gonna pay for that video shoot that you know you need for your career or you're gonna pay for that studio time right so it's a lot of sacrifices you know with the music videos and paying this producing paying this videographer paying this person and robbing peter to pay paul and the whole thing man it's it's, yeah, it's a sacrifice, man. Definitely. And if anything, you're doing it right, though, because a lot of artists at our level, mm-hmm. they don't uh, they don't pay the people that, that they work with, you know? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's very much like, hey, I'll, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back, but you're actually employing them, mm-hmm. which is something that I do as well. You know, it's a point that I make uh, to, to do because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think realistically the scratch your back, scratch my back mentality is kind of juvenile, you know? I, we're past that. Yeah. You know, and we're all adults here. We all need to pay rent. So that's true. let's let's help each other earn a living a little bit. That's true. You know, uh, eventually you're going to get your money back. It's just yeah. an investment. It's an investment. Yeah, people are, they, they're afraid to invest in themselves. And I'm like, yo, if you don't pay $2,000 for a product that you want to have come to life, if you don't see it fit for $2,000, what makes you think anyone else will see it fit for anything? You know what I mean? Yeah, I couldn't say that better myself. Yeah, like, bro, people are afraid to invest. Me, I'm, I'm not afraid, man. This Isn't is, that weird? Yeah. <laughs> like this is what I left the army for. This right. is all I have. This right. this has to work. By the way, everybody, happy Thanksgiving. By the time you're listening to this, it'll be Black Friday. So happy Black Friday to all you greedy shoppers. Um, in terms of 
uh, shopping, which makes me think of, unfortunately, money. Go ahead and check out the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash mrthrive. That is Mr. Thrive at patreon.com. We have one Thriver out there. Shout out to Vasi Balakon. She is awesome. She is badass. She actually is in the podcast uh, ex- experimental um, right now. And uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you were reading No, 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 no. That's just my thoughts place right over there. I was oh. just <laughs> gazing in the San Francisco, I suppose. I was about to say, is that San Francisco? That's San Francisco, yeah. That's where I went to school. Is it your paddle board that you use when you have like those? <laughs> I, was, I was in Alpha Epsilon Pi. I was in the fraternity. And uh, no, we did not use those paddles on anybody. They're decorative. Uh, oh, okay. That's what I'm requ- required to say anyway. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> No, I did not paddle anybody. I'm not. I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> um, but anyway, though, I think it's time to start to get to know about you a little bit. Where were you mm-hmm. born? I was originally born in Tifton, Georgia, but I moved to Albany, Georgia, when I was around the age of ten years old. So I pretty much would say I'm from Albany, Georgia. Gotcha. Because that's why I spend the most of my youth and growing up in. Yeah, I've never been there. How is Albany? Oh, it's great, man. It's great. Is it a city life, or is it more suburban, or what is that? It's more, uh, I'll put it this way. We still have dirt roads. Okay. And people still ride horses in some areas. Very old-fashioned, huh? Yeah, it's old-fashioned. Do you like it like that? Yeah, I'm a city boy now. Yeah, yeah. But it's cool, though. I I do miss home sometimes, but more so for the the friends and the family and the trees and the nature. I get that. Grew up in in Albany. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you, I mean, you're more of a city boy now. Um, or some of those early memories that you had from that area? Uh, man, Albany. So, well, first off, my childhood wasn't as, uh, it wasn't as good as, you know, as I liked it to be. But having said that, I wouldn't change a thing because it made me who I am today. Sure. And so I had some good memories. I've had some bad memories, some bad experiences, some good experiences. So yeah. I take all of that with me, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what are some of those experiences that you kind of just mentioned? Uh, well, for one, I was homeless for a majority of my childhood. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. It was, uh, well, to make a long story short, I, my father was very abusive. And so uh, because of him being abusive, when I was 10 years old, I called the police on my dad. And uh, so because of that, we were living in Tifton, Georgia. And so because of my dad being abusive and I called the police on him, uh, we were, me, my mother, and my brother's sisters were uh, relocated to a shelter for women women and children uh, in Albany, Georgia. And so we stayed there for about eight months. And so uh, my mother decided that she wouldn't leave the past behind us, so we didn't move back to Tifton. So we decided to stay in Albany, Georgia. And so that's where it all began. I stayed in Albany, Georgia yeah. until the age of 18. And then I finally joined the Army. So in between that, uh, my mother was struggling, you know, working the two jobs and uh, trying to provide for me and my family. And I actually had my first job when I was 16. I was working at Bird King. Yeah. And so that was cool. And uh, in between that, you know, life happened and my mother was continuing to struggle and she did the best she could. And she was a hard worker, but, you know, life gets the best of us sometimes. And so, uh, yeah, we were in and out of homes. Wow. In and out of shelters, uh, staying with my mother's friends, and you know, so yeah, it was pretty rough. That's a lot. 
Yeah. But I commend you for your strength. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're here. But after that, despite all that hardship, you chose to go to the military right after that. Oh, yeah. Why? Best decision I ever made. So, in Albany, Georgia, or I'm sure in any place, you know, everybody's got their places. You yeah, know, their sure. origins. It, well, for me personally, it was either you make good grades in school and go to college, or you join the Army. <laughs> and so, well, I wasn't that good in school. <laughs> right. But I didn't want to join the army at first. But then again, I didn't have a, I didn't have another choice. We have a park in uh, Albany, Georgia, just called Ray Charles Park. Okay. I think it's called Ray Charles Park. Ray Charles is from Albany, Georgia, so we have like a statue of him, and he's on the piano, and you know we have the Flint River. So I slept at that park, and no one knew this throughout my high school years that I was sleeping at that park, and I would collect the coins and stuff that people would throw in the statue and the waterfall or whatever mm-hmm. to make a wish. They flip a coin on it, and I just collect that. Either it be for bus fare mm-hmm. or for just extra cash to get some food. And so uh, a lot of my peers didn't know that. And uh, so, yeah, I, I slept there for a while until uh, I decided that this was enough, and I decided to join the Army. And uh, I signed up for the Army, and it's crazy because I left for basic training, mm-hmm. five days after I signed up. Like, usually with the Army, you go there, you go to MEPS, you sign up, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's about a two-month wait, three-month wait, six months, because you, you have to wait for your job position to open up. But it took you a week's worth of business In days. my case, man, I went in there, I went into MEPS, go with the whole process, uh, you swear in, they make you do the duck walk, you do all these... The duck walk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's when you, they want to make sure you're not flat-footed. Oh. So you put your hands behind your head. Okay. And you squat. And you're in your underwear in a room <laughs> with like 20 other guys. Okay. And the doctor's watching you and you duck walk. And I guess if you have flat feet, I don't know how they determine this, but if you have flat feet, you're not able to do it. Okay. You're not able to be in the army with flat feet, right? Yeah. So they do that to make sure you don't have flat feet. I have flat feet, unfortunately. Uh, so I guess it's w- because of the boots we have to wear or the boots we issued. I see. With flat feet, you won't be able to wear them. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on in MEPS that we're like, oh, yeah, that never happened. Wow, okay. They do all the examination stuff, and it's pretty it's pretty kinky, man. And but <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that's a whole other story. <laughs> but anyway, so I go to MEPS, and the guy's like, you get to pick your job okay. based on your ASVAP score. And mine was like a between a 50 and a 55. I don't remember, but it was is, a 50 is that, 55. Is that good? or? Yeah, you have to score a 50. Well, you could score... I think a 42 is the minimum. Okay. But a 50 and above, you get the, you have the uh, eligibility to pick any job you want. So 50 is the main score that you want, so you can choose anything. Okay. So I picked my job, and the guy's like, uh, how soon do you want to leave? You know, how soon can you afford to leave? And I was like, sorry, I have nothing to lose. He said, good, you're leaving in five days. Shook my hand, <laughs> I was like, whoa, what the? F-? Like, five days? So then you drop that information on your family. Bro, no one believed me because they, like, I was telling people, I'm like, I even told my job at Burger King. I was like, yo, I'm leaving for the Army in five days. Yeah. No one believed me. I told my mom, like, hey, I'm leaving. They're like, oh, yeah, 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 You know, like brushing off. Next thing you know, I leave for five, I leave five days later. Yeah. And uh, I come back about three months later in my uniform, you know. And it's like, oh, shit, this guy really did it. Like, Wait, wait, so, so, but but you left. And then, I mean, did were you able to make calls in that time? Yeah, but at the same time, I was more so focused on bettering myself. I sort of lost touch with a lot of people because of that. 
Yeah. Because not saying that I cut him off, but I was like, you know, I really need to focus on myself and get myself together. You needed to go on a journey. Yeah. So I call home maybe once a week because we did have phone privileges every Sunday. That's good. But sometimes I call, sometimes I wouldn't call. Mm-hmm. So I call my mother and I call, you know, uh, a few other people every now and then just to let them know I'm good. You know, but I never really focus on the communication yeah. aspect of reaching out. No, for sure. I just focus on myself. But when you made that first phone call, were you like, hey, I told you so? Yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah. I went to basic training in Fort Sewell, Oklahoma, <laughs> and it was crazy. And they, and they were like, what? Yeah, you meant yeah. It? <laughs> it was crazy. And then when you came back home in your uniform, what was that reaction like? Man, people were like, whoa, what the hell? Like, <laughs> it's like, yo. I was like, yeah, baby, it's me. Did, did you enjoy the training? Or, or was it really that excruciating? Oh, man, the training was crazy because, bro, they, they take you out of your element. They break you down and build you back up. You're a completely different person, man. It's crazy. How do they do that? Uh, well, for one, when we first got to basic training, I uh-huh. remember uh, we get on the bus and everybody's yelling. and Then you get off the bus, everybody's yelling. And then this time they're yelling and they're taking everything that you have they're throwing it out on the ground and stumping on it. And there's more yelling that follows. And then you go into your uh, your dorm rooms or whatever, and then they come in yelling again. And then you start your training. And it's a lot, man. You, it's, it's both mentally and physically. Uh, it's, uh, it's testing you both mis- mentally and physically. I can imagine. But from mm-hmm. what I understand, despite the, I'm going to call it suffering right now, mm-hmm. you know, it does build you up in a positive way for the long run yeah but while you're doing it you're like oh hell no what have i done like, right what, like, what was the toughest thing they put you through bro well i'll say it like this the first day you know we get there and uh there's a lot of yelling and screaming and they finally put us in our dorm rooms and you know you're in a space mind you you're in a space with all these guys from all over the united states with different backgrounds right and so you're in this space with so many strangers. And from the jump, they force you, you're, you're showering with random people you've never seen before. And everybody's naked. And everybody's these. Now <laughs> is the worst part. Uh, that, that you get used to. Like, trust me, brother, it's nothing homophobic about. If you have, if you have any homophobia, yeah. and you join the army, it's going to be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so basically, you with these random guys and. Everybody has different personalities. Some people, you just got to find your way. And once you, and turns out some of the guys that I had problem problems with and saw uh, we had our differences. But in the long run, we all became like some of the best of friends that we still talk to this day. That's but, remarkable. Yeah, like you, you meet some friends that you never lose touch with. And right. even if you lose touch, once you gain that touch back, you just like, you pick up where you left off. No, totally. What you mentioned uh, conflicts with some, with some of those guys prior. What what do mm-hmm. some of those conflicts look like? Well, for one, you're sleeping in bunk beds, so you yeah. got like, if this guy's messy and the drill sergeant comes in, your area is clean, but this guy's messy, so now he's taking my stuff out of my closet and throwing it on the floor because of you. Because an army it teaches you about team. You're, you're as strong as your weakest team member. Right. Which means everybody is accountable for everyone. So if one person's lagging, the whole team's lagging. Yeah. So yeah, it was. I remember this one guy I had that was my roommate, and man, this guy was disgusting, bro. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. I didn't think humans could be this, you know. Yeah. You'd have thought he was an animal or something, or like a, a hybrid <laughs> between a 
Sasquatch and a, <laughs> I don't know, but bro, this guy was Sasquatch met met Bigfoot. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like Jesus Christ. Like like what was he doing? Was he not making his bed, or was he just throwing his trash in the ground? Like what, bro, what was he didn't that? make his bed. He didn't. He didn't. It, it, anything you think of. I thought the army made you make your bed. Yeah, that's the thing. And this guy was so. Uh, I don't know, bro. He just he gave uh, all of us a hard time. But anyway, long story short, we finally got him to cooperate, and uh, everything worked out. But like I'm saying, whenever someone's doing something wrong, everybody's wrong, so everybody Absolutely. gets punished. So yeah, but one of the worst things I experienced, as far as basic training, sure, the gas chamber, bro. The gas chamber. Like that's the shit that I was like, oh man, like what's the gas chamber? So they use uh. CS gas, which okay. is like uh same thing as tear gas okay. or stuff they use for riot control. Okay. Bro, you're in there and it only lasts for five minutes. Okay. And uh but those are the longest five minutes of your life because you're wearing the gas mask. Okay. And plus, like I said, it's something new to us all. Like we don't just on a normal day like go around breathing in tear gas and wearing gas masks. So we go into this old building that they make it look old and it's like some shit from uh the Saw movie. Okay. And you go in here. Yeah. And it's like, what the hell? And everything feels normal, but you have your gas on, your gas mask on. Okay. So you don't notice it, but you're in a room and they have these tablets that they're burning. Okay. To release the fumes. Okay. And everything seems normal. It's like, it's a little hot in there, but it's like, it's normal. Okay. But once you take that mask off and breathe. Oh, like, so they bro, require you to take that mask yeah. off. Yeah. Okay. And they want you to say your social security number and your rank, your name rank, social security number. And so like, one two three everybody take your mask off and once you do that you know like everybody's normal right now but once you take your mask off you say and you look around everybody's like coughing and throwing up and nosebleeds and like oh my god like bro that shit was crazy and man. you had to be in there for five minutes yeah. stating your name rank and social security yeah, and number bro like you would think you're dying well but wait wait, wait but does it not take a short period of time to say all that yeah, it takes a short period of time to say it, but at the same time, <laughs> it's like the CS gas, the tear gas is is a long irritant. Right. So imagine so, it feels like something is just pricking at your lungs and just like oh my god, your eyes are burning, your skin is burning. It's just like what the fuck is going on? That can I sounds. Say fuck on this? Yeah, you can cuss oh, on well. this. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can fucking cuss. Oh yeah, yeah right on. <laughs> but like, bro, that's it was crazy, bro. Like, oh man. Yeah. And I remember. I remember lining up, and they put us in rows of three. And so uh, I saw the first three guys go up, and one guy takes his mask off. And that's this big drill sergeant. Drill sergeant. He's like, take your mask off. And he takes his mask off. His nose just starts bleeding. He's shaking. And the guy pushes him against the wall. And he's like, get me out of here. Get me out of here. And he's cussing and like screaming, get me out of here. And they would not let him out. I was like, oh, hell no. So it was my turn. Yeah. My, I'm an 18-year-old from the South. You know, I'm yeah. just... I've never seen anything like this before. I'm like, oh, hell, these guys are tripping. Like, what the hell? Right. And so I get in there, and this big-ass drill sergeant is looking down at me. He's like, all right, I'm asking you to take your mask off. Am I going to have any problems? And I'm shaking my head, yes and no, at the same time. I'm like, uh, n- yes, no. <laughs> He's like, okay, take your mask off. And I'm hesitant. And I'm hesitant. And he was like, okay. He was like, fuck that. He just grabbed my mask and took it off. Jesus. And I was like, oh, like instantly, bro, like. You just I can't I can't express how crazy the gas chamber is. Okay, so what did you feel in your lungs at that point? You just feel like it feels like needles or razors are like oh. 
every time you breathe in, okay, look. So you're already nervous and scared. So your breathing is syncopated or whatever, off rhythm, whatever. Yeah. And so now you're in a room where everything, you, all the air you breathe is tear gas. Jesus. So even if you just take a little breath, it chokes you. And then you want to take in a deeper breath. So now you're taking a deeper breath and you're just miserable, bro. Anybody listening to this who's been in the army, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, wait, so then once you finish saying all that information that the drill sergeant required of you, are you allowed to then put your gas mask back on? Yeah, but in order to clear a gas mask, are you familiar with one? Uh, I've never used one before. So in order to clear a gas mask, you have to... Uh, there's a part on here where you hold the, the filter or okay. whatever. Okay, okay. And you, you clear it by breathing in it. Oh, my God. So now you're trying to put it on and clear it. <laughs> so you have to swallow that? Yeah, pretty much. And oh, like, my God. You're trying to clear the gas mask, but eventually it lets you out the door. They're like, you know, put your hand on the guy's shoulder and right. walk out of the line. But everybody's throwing up on each other. It's terrible. Oh, my God. Pull that's up some terrible. YouTube videos. Like, trust me. Well, on that very pleasant note, the 20 minutes have come up. Here is another song from Sir Jeremy Green's release. Right on. Rock steady, the world's on fire. There's a one in five chance you might survive. But you'll never know the truth in you until you try the choice is yours to make, so live life and conquer. Tell me the price you'll pay. There's no turning back, we've come too far. I'll sacrifice to win it all. We live in a city of flames and it's burning down. The people sing, the people sing. Chance of a lifetime, a risk I'm willing to take. 
since being in LA, I know you've been quite busy with some of these different shows and whatnot. What are some of those shows that you've been working on these days? Oh, I've been working on... Uh... So I've been working with America's Got Talent now for about four years now, since I moved to L.A. And it's crazy how that happened, because uh, I actually met the person who connected me to uh, the America's Got Talent in McDonald's. And I don't even eat McDonald's, but this one day, I had a craving for some of those fries, and I was like, yo, let me go get some fries. So I'm standing in line, and uh, this older lady, she kept looking at me, and I was like, you know, like, hey, what are you looking at? I'm giving her eye like, hey, what are you looking at? <laughs> and so... Uh, after I get my fries, she comes up to me and uh, she was like, hey, I love your tattoos. What instrument do you play? And, uh, you know, I told her I played piano and she was like, okay. So she gives me her business card and uh, I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And so she, I go to her office later that day, long story short, and she tells me America's Got Talent is looking for an African-American piano player. And uh, I was like, oh, really? And so I auditioned, sent her some videos and, you know, and uh, about three weeks later, they called me, asked me if I'm still open for that job, and I'm like, yeah, well, shit, why not? So America's Got Talent, and so since then I've been working with the show. But it's seasonal, you know, so I played the piano for some of the contestants when they perform live and during the finals and semifinals of the show. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. That's really cool. In McDonald's. In <laughs> McDonald's. Yeah. That's such a random, that's like a really great Hollywood story. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's crazy. That's really cool. It just happens. It's like, oh, It's a wow. good opportunity right yeah. there. I hope I'm giving you all the answers you need, man. Like, I, you no, know, no, I, no. These are great. Yeah, These are great. It's, it's crazy, man. Like, the gas chamber, like, if you yeah. look it up, yeah, bro, you will see what I'm talking about. It, it, sounds, it sounds remarkably terrifying. Yeah, there's nothing you want to do. And I remember, because I went to base training in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Yeah. And uh, there, bro, the scorpions. The scorpions? Giant tarantulas. Nope. Nope. And, yeah, I know. Nope. And I remember <laughs> sitting, I had a drill sergeant. He was his country guy. I'm talking about. He was like a country badass guy. He was like John Wayne meets Chuck Norris or something like that. And uh, there was these big ass tarantulas everywhere. And so I'm sitting on the bench, on the bleachers, waiting for my turn, you know. And uh, there's a tree above us, and people were like, "Don't sit on the trees because that's tarantulas." And so we're sitting there, and you could hear them fall, like just falling out of the tree, just on the bleachers. And no. So my drill sergeant had these two sticks. And I look up, he's in the field clapping these two sticks together, talking about that keeps him away or something. I don't know. He just looked ridiculous <laughs> doing it. I'm like, bro, like, he's over there clapping two sticks in the field. Hey, man, if that works, I'm going to be doing the same thing with I that drill like, sergeant. That shit don't work. It doesn't matter how big of a guy you are. Tarantulas are freaking scary. I know, bro. I was like, hell no. But wait, hold on. I want to take a step back a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. When did you start singing? Oh, I started singing around... You know, my mother tells me I started singing around when I was four or five. But as far as I can remember, when I actually knew what I was doing, I had an idea, I would say about nine, ten, ten right. years old, I so, started singing. So you started singing around nine or ten. Mm -hmm. I mean, but your mom claimed since four. Yeah, I grew up singing in the church choir. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. How how was that? Did you like doing that? You know, it was crazy. I, I used to be shy. I don't know why I was shy, because when you have a gift, it's it's a gift. It's something that you want to express and show to the world. Sure. Yeah, I was singing in the church choir. It was amazing, bro. Like, there's nothing like singing gospel, gospel music. Like, it, it was great, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was great. No, I mean, that's that's awesome. I mean, mm -hmm. but, I mean, be, being shy is a very natural thing. I, well, I mean, like, it also depends on the person. It's like almost like a biological thing, right? Yeah. You know? I, I don't know. I, I wasn't shy because I was an only child. Mm -hmm. So I was like, right away, I was like, let's meet people. 
because <laughs> I'm bored. That's me, people. <laughs> yeah, you know. Like, my dad, like, one thing that got me out of my element for not being shy was being forced, not being forced, because that makes it sound really aggressive, mm-hmm. but, like, being put in a position that I didn't ask for, which was to, to meet all my dad's friends in his business networking meetings. Mm-hmm. And while meeting them, as as fun as it was to get free breakfast, it was still really tough because eventually at these networking meetings in like a fancy hotel ballroom, they'd pass around a microphone mm-hmm. and everyone would introduce themselves. And then it, the microphone was handed to me, even though I clearly didn't own a business. Mm-hmm. And I'd hold the mic and I was like, what do I say? I'm like, hi, I'm Charlie Volk. I'm Joel's son. <laughs> <laughs> my business is being my dad's son. Here's my dad. And I hand the mic over. <laughs> They're like, yeah, that guy's weird. Who yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, people, th- I guess people thought it was cute. And then mm-hmm. after that, you know, that became the thing was, you know, it helped me get out of my element was just forcing myself to hold a microphone mm-hmm. and stand in front of all these uh, older gentlemen, you know? Well, help me. I think when I finally realized that you have a gift that no one else has, you right. know, that kind of boost my uh, confidence, you know? What was the light bulb moment? What was, what, what, what told you you had a gift? Um, I don't know. As a singer, you really don't know you can sing until you hear somebody say, hey, you sound pretty good. Like, yeah, you know, you can sing, but you really don't know that you're good at something until you get that confirmation from someone. Sure. You know? what, what's that feel like? It's kind of cool. You know, it's, you know, it feels like, hey, someone recognizes that you have a talent and, you know, you kind of like, hey, maybe I do sound pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's remarkable. Mm-hmm. That's pretty great. Um, and just keep on doing that, dude. I, some people, you know, some people have told me that they like the podcast and that, that I get that a similar feeling for sure. Yeah. You know, it's, it's definitely great music. I, I think one of my first weeks working at Dave and Buster's, I heard your mm-hmm. music and I was like, this is actually really solid. It's oh, well produced. And you know, it's crazy because there's a, a, um, that's this thing. I don't know. It's weird. What people look at you and they think you sound a certain way. Okay. And when I tell people I'm a musician, they're like, oh, rap music? And rap like, music? Yeah, yeah, Like, it's crazy. And then when people hear the music, they're like, oh, wow, this doesn't... They can't put a face to the music because it, even though they're staring me in the eyes, they're like, yeah, this doesn't sound like you, but it's me. I hate to bring this up. I have to mm-hmm. ask this question based yeah. off of what you just said. But mm-hmm. when people say, oh, you do rap music, do you think that's based on your skin color as well? That stereotype? I mean... Well, yeah, it could be. Yeah. Most likely, yeah. Uh, okay. Like, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh no, no, it's cool. It's cool. It's groovy. You know, I, I like, I like for people to be surprised. You know, that, sure. That that's more like a, it intrigues them more. You know. Well, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What What are the some of the influences that that create your music? Well, I have a big influence, man. I, I grew up, like I said, singing in the church choir, and so you know that's the whole gospel feel and. Yeah. My mother would always play like Motown, you know, like Smokey Robinson, The Miracles, uh, David Ruffin, The Temptations, man, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, anything you name it, Motown. Like she played it while she cleaned the house. And you know, I'm small, so I don't really understand what's going on. I just see her running around singing and it feels good, you know, every Sunday morning she's playing either gospel or Motown. So I grew up with that. And later when I joined the army, like you wouldn't believe how uh how small my music realm or knowledge of music was at the time because I was surrounded by guys who would play, um, you know, Steely Dan and Elton John, Coldplay, uh, 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 Deep Purple, um, the Eagles. 
and I'm hearing this rock music, and I'm like, yo, what is, what is that? And they're like, oh, this is the Eagles. This is Elton John. This is Tiny Dance. I'm like, yo, that thing is in, in groovy. The, in the Army, that was the first time you hearing that music? Yeah, like, bro, I, I grew up in the South. Like, I'm right. talking about the Deep South. Yeah. You know, and at the time, you know, if it wasn't rap music, if it wasn't Motown, if it wasn't gospel, I wouldn't listen to it. I was very enclosed into, you know, into a little bubble. Right. Until I joined the Army and got exposed to so much more because there was a certain stigma in my in my uh, neighborhood about listening to country music and sure. pop music. I mean, Albany's predominantly black. Yeah. You know, and uh, nothing wrong, you know, wherever you grow up, you know, like in Chicago, they had the type of music they listen to. And in Jamaica, I'm sure they're not playing Blake Shelton or, you know. <laughs> so there's a certain vibe in every place, you know, and that's why I say it's so important to travel and oh, to yeah. meet new people and gain new experiences because now it opened up my mind to so much more. Right. And so once I was exposed to that music, I started dwelling into it a bit more, and I discovered uh, Phil Collins, and I discovered so much great music. And so, man, my my music is a hybrid of so many different uh, influences, ranging from uh, Hans Zimmerman, Phil Collins. When I hear that, dun 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 dun, yeah, and uh, in the air tonight, and Elton John. Blue Jean, baby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Tiny Dance. And it, it, man, it's so much. And it's like inspiring when I hear all this stuff. And then on top of that, I went to musical school here in Hollywood, Musicians Institute. Yes, sir. And there I learned more things about music. And just, it, it's like, bro, it's like, that's, it's so hard to put yourself in one particular genre in 2019 with so much going on in the music realm. It's like, it's crazy, man. More now than ever, mm-hmm. so many different mediums of art are being changed, and it's yeah. because of like, it's partly because of the technology that we're in, but I think it's also because of there's such there's just such a huge pool of 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 artists out there. Yeah, I think that's really neat. You know, man, the place is shifting. Yeah, we well, standing on shaky ground. Well, but like I, I I know what's changing in the in the film world, but what's changing in the music world world exactly? far as as far as like the styles of music oh, or man. Like the well, business well, right itself hip hop is like hip hop is like the main thing even some country uh music is now using uh uh hi hats and stuff and like a uh, trap instrumental sort of right. incorporated now in country music and we saw with uh, Lil Nas X yeah that's right old town road that old thing town is road. moving man right like, so <laughs> music is evolving bro and it's like it's beautiful because like there's so many avenues to be creative, man. Like, you can really make a living just being you now. Yeah. You know, you don't have to shape or form to someone else's style. You can just be yourself. No, totally. What, besides you, mm-hmm. what is the signature of your music that makes your music different? Well, with me, my music is uh, a hybrid, I would say. Okay. I would like to say a hybrid of uh, uh, rock and roll, soul, and pop. Yeah. And, you know... When it comes to the piano, I sort of like to do a... Are you going to make me tell all my secrets, man? Yeah, tell me all your secrets, <laughs> dude. <laughs> tell the musicians their, your secrets, dude. Because like, there are musicians right now listening to this podcast who are mm-hmm. going to make music inspired by you right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I want to hear what you got. I like to... I love to study harmony and theory. And, and people say, oh, you don't have to know how to read music. You don't have to study music. You could do this without that, without this. Well, I'm telling you. You can't be you can't want to be a master of something that you don't understand how it works. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if you say you want to be a musician or a singer-songwriter, you have to understand and understand the foundation of music, which is why it's important to study. And you don't have to be a full-blown uh, whiz of the thing, you know, but at least grasp the concept of how chords work and how, uh, how scales work and, you know, harmony theory, diatonics, you know, seven chords. You know, you want to learn all this stuff because it helps. It's hand-in-hand. Hand. Me... My music has grown because of I've because I'm talking tired, Jesus Christ. But because of me studying music, it helps to understand where I want to go with music. You know, if I'm playing a C major chord and mm-hmm. I feel like I'm stuck, well I know that I can, you know, do some things. I know where to go when I'm making music. So I think it helps. The language in which your brain works through though was developed by Music Institute. Or was it developed even before that? I could say it's developed before that. It's sort of a, uh, you know, it's a mixture. Sure. Of all these experiences into one. Right. Did you, you learn know? piano then? Oh, I've been playing piano since I was 15. When, when, how'd you learn piano? Oh, I, I learned piano by playing by ear. You you heard the piano and you, but just by listening, you could learn to play it. Well, it wasn't that easy at first. <laughs> right. But that's remarkable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I remember. Uh, Very few people do that, I feel like. Yeah, man, and it's beautiful that I learned it before the age of, like, I mean, social media was around, but we're not that old. Like, I'm 27. Right. You're 24, but at the time when I was 15, bro, cell phones weren't that popping. Like, it wasn't, like, yeah. you know, all the texting and videos, and Instagram wasn't even around, I don't think. So, at the time, there was nothing else to do but practice music. Sure. So, I hear a song on the radio, and I get my piano, my little keyboard, electronic keyboard, and I just hit a note. And try to find out what's being played on the radio. And I sit there for hours because there was nothing else to do. Right. If I'm not playing with my friends or whatever outside. So it was a beautiful time. But now it's like, I found it hard. I see some kids in high school now in Hollywood, California. And I'm yeah. like, how are they able to focus in school? Why Why well, do you say that? Because we have like Instagram and yeah. everyone's texting. And there's so much to do in Hollywood. It's like... Bro, I wouldn't be able to focus in this time if I had to go yeah. to school now. I gotta say, Hollywood today even is a distraction. I, yeah. Like one thing I've been noticing is that like there's not a quiet place in that in this city. It's not. And sometimes it gets to me. Does it ever get to you? In terms of that that loudness, it's such a loud place. Yeah, know? like there's always a helicopter flying over my apartment, and they're right. always looking for somebody. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus Christ, find this man. Who well, is he? Well, they're trying to figure out who's playing all that beautiful music. Clearly. Oh, that could be too. Yeah, yeah. that could be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of your beautiful music, another 20-minute mark has just landed. Guys, check out the next song from Sir Jeremy Green's EP, hitting you up right now. Here we are standing, one before another Look me straight in the eyes And tell me it was all a lie No rules to the games we play We live, we learn, each and every day I thought we'd stand the test of time How could I have been so blind? Well, the tides are rising high And the birds fly
This is actually cool, like the whole podcast thing. It's, Thank you. I that's why I say it. people should, you know, the it can't hurt to do this. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like right, dude, and it, it's so easy these days. Yeah, and it's like you know, it's a good practice. Yeah, a lot of businesses are doing it. Even my dad hit me up. Was like, hey, let's let's make a podcast. He wants to produce mm-hmm. a podcast, um, and I'm gonna help him produce it. So I'm excited to do that for him. That's um, groovy. That's I'm really groovy. Exci- I'm really excited to do that. Businesses themselves, though are doing podcasts like I, there's this one podcast i was listening to mm-hmm. called power forward it's a business podcast and it's, it's a very new one it's only 14 episodes in mm-hmm. but i realized that that podcast is for one business and it's really just interviewing its own industry professionals uh exclusive so that way their industry professionals could have profiles uh and i thought that was really interesting you know Mm-hmm. It was just cool, and I like listening to stuff like that. So I got to learn a little bit about this company. You you told me when we were doing the talking points mm-hmm. that you had some traveling experience. Yeah. When you were in the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that like for you? Man, I traveled all over the world, and like I said, uh, which is why I think my music is such uh, 
such of the way it is because I've seen the world, honestly. Yeah. Well, what parts of the world did you see? I've been to Switzerland, Austria, uh, all of Germany. I've been to Spain, Ibiza, okay. Barcelona. Uh, I've been to Paris. Yeah. I've been to, yeah, I've been all over Afghanistan. That's I've gorgeous. I've been everywhere, man. So it's like. Afghanistan is where you were deployed, right? Yeah, that's why I was deployed for nine months. Wow. Well, thank you for your service, by the way. Right on, brother. I think that's right long overdue for me to say that, but I really do appreciate you saying that. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So, um, uh, yeah, man, I've been all over. And by the time I was 21, I had already been in like 12 different countries, man. I mean, that not many not many 21-year-olds can say that. Yeah. And I sort of, I used to question whether joining the Army was the right move because a lot of my friends either, because uh, when, tw- when I was 21, some of my friends had already had the bachelor's degrees. And by the time I was 23, my other friends and peers from high school had already had the masters. And so here I am in the army with no degree, no anything. I mean, yeah, I've traveled the world and got the experience, but I was like, ah. But you can't look at it like that because they may have a degree, but I've been places that they may never see in their lives, you know? Not saying that's right, but that's just how it is. I mean, that's life. But so now I have a degree now in piano, but at the time I was like, oh, I should have did this i should have did that but you can't think like that you just got to go with the flow of life man i think that's really smart of you to to have that kind of mindset Mm -hmm. what i've realized is you know earlier you pointed out that you know i have like my bachelor of arts right there in the Mm -hmm. wall right it's not a right way to do it because there have been for example one person on this podcast uh she was telling me that you know she was supposed to go with me to college she was actually supposed to go to my college we went to the same high school together Mm -hmm. what ended up happening happening was she decided not to do that and go right for her acting career, mm-hmm. which I think was really brilliant on her end. And so that helped her career on her end. That helped my career on my end to go to school. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like in the long run, it's helped your career yeah. to be in the army. Yeah. You know, because uh, you've seen the world. It's mm-hmm. kind of a more worldly approach to your musical talents. Yeah. And it broadens your perspective on life. Like, yeah, there's so many things that I'm open to now. Like, I don't know, like my mind is just open, like. Yeah. You know, I don't judge people. I don't, you know, I let everybody do their own thing, you know, because what we think is, and it's crazy because what we think is lame or like out of date in this country, somewhere else there's like a totally popping trend of whatever we think is boring and lame. You know what I mean? Sure. So it's like you got to be open, man, in this world. And I think it's beautiful to travel and, you know, you gain experiences and. Isn't it though? Different cultures, yeah. I, I'm thankful for every one of my experiences. I, mm-hmm. I I don't even know what I did to deserve half of them. You know, um, I traveled to Europe myself for two mm-hmm. months. But how long were you traveling for? Oh, I was in Europe for like five years. For you five years, were you stationed at all those places, or did you just travel them for fun? Well, I was stationed in Germany. Okay. But you know, everything is so close in Europe. Like you can hop on a train, and three hours you're in Switzerland. So. I was stationed in Germany, and uh, I just travel around on the weekends, or if I have a four-day weekend, or you know, the take a vacation and just travel somewhere. That's nice that you're given those opportunities. Yeah. I mean, for a college student, the equivalent would be studying abroad, mm-hmm. but you didn't have to do that. Yeah. You did your service, and then you were stationed in Germany. Yeah. What were you doing in Germany? Oh, we just training. Okay. What you? What were some of the things that you saw on your travels? Man, I saw the my first time going to Paris. Oh, that's a funny story. Yeah. <laughs> in Paris, bro. So, we in we were stationed in Germany, right? And they allow us to travel. Yeah. But you only can travel a certain distance without having to let your superiors know where you're going. Okay. And so, 
this weekend, one weekend, me and my friends were like, you know what? Whatever, we're just going to go to Paris, which is like six hours away from Ansbach, Germany. Mm -hmm. So we rented a car. Me and a few of my friends rented a car. We drive to Paris. We didn't let nobody know. We're just like, you know, we're going to wing it. So this is uh, a Friday. So we get to Paris Saturday morning around like 12 a.m. or whatever. Uh, and so um, we rent out the hotel, you know, walking around, touring and stuff. You know, we're, you know, out drinking, partying. And so uh, we're going back to the room, and my friend is like, uh, hey, man, I can't find the keys. I'm like, what do you mean you can't find the keys to the car? Because we're about to drive somewhere. <laughs> <clears throat> and so he says he can't find his keys, so we're checking the pockets and we're looking through the bags and mind you we think we left the keys in a taxi in paris yeah and so uh we we walk back trying to retrack our steps and we get there where the taxis are man it's like so many taxis around we're like jesus christ we didn't know where to start <laughs> and so we're just asking random taxi drivers and we didn't we're already faded and so we lost the keys to the rental car that we rented from Germany. oh no so yeah so now it's sunday yeah and we still haven't found the keys we can't call our superiors and let them know because we didn't put in a mileage pass. So now we'll get in trouble if we let them know we're in Paris. Oh, my God. So now we're just stuck there. <laughs> and so it turns out, long story short, we talked to this girl at the front desk, and she told us about this bus that was like 10 euro. And so the bus drove us back to Germany. It took about seven, eight hours. And uh, we left the car in Paris. And, <gasps> yeah, we had, the, <laughs> we had the rental company go pick up the car. And they charged us like fifteen hundred euro, which is like two thousand American dollars. Oh my god! But yeah, lesson learned. So had we, but had we filled out the forms, we could have just called my sergeant, and then, you know, they could have came and got us a something. We we could have saved two thousand dollars. But you would have been in trouble, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So it was like, fuck it. It's a certain <laughs> trade off. You're you're yeah. buying you're buying a smooth transition, not a yeah, yeah man. Damn. So it was crazy. So um, that's funny. Yeah, Paris was great. But my favorite place I've been to, I would have to say is, um, I gotta say is Switzerland, man. Switzerland is nice. What, 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 what's in Switzerland? Just the whole vibe, man. It's yeah. like peaceful. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. All of Germany is great too. I don't know. I have a play favorite place. I take that back. Sure. Well, I, no, I'll take that back again. I like Spain. Ibiza was great. Spain was beautiful. I've been to yeah. Ibiza too. Yeah, yeah, Ibiza. Oh, man. Yeah. Did it you see great. any shows there? Uh,. No, I was just out drinking and partying, bro. Right. Like, yeah. that, that's what you do there. Yeah. Oh, I think I went, I went there to shoot a music video that never got released. Wait, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Me while and friends while in the there. military? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, weekends were pretty much free. So okay. like, you could do what you want on the weekends. So, so, and then why didn't it get released? I have no idea. Will just it... lost touch with the people and sure. they just never released it. If you could get back in touch with them, would you release it? Nah. No? No. Nah, why? Man. Why not? Looking back and like, man, that video, it was cool though. For well, the video and the song, I wouldn't release it. Nah. But here's the thing. One day you'll be famous, mm -hmm. right? So one day you'll be famous Ooh. and then you're going to release that music video. Man. Like, hey, guys, this is from 10 years ago. Yeah, maybe Check as a throwback out. just to inspire people of how you should keep going. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I got mean, a lot of throwback footage. But also the fact that you did that while still in the military. Yeah. I mean that that can't be easy to do. Yeah, yeah, it's not that easy to do, but it it was fun. Man. Was it was it other people in the military that helped you film it? No, no it was some uh, some of my friends from Germany. Okay, gotcha. Like some Germans that I knew. Gotcha. 
yeah, I hope that I hope that footage, that footage still exists, and I hope you release it sometime. Well, if they happen to stumble across this uh, podcast, I hope they would release that video. You know. Yeah, or, damn, release yeah. the video. What's their name? What's their name? I don't even remember. Okay, I'm gonna name you Fritz. Fritz, yeah, release Fritz. the video. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little mean. I'm sorry. You're, you're probably a really nice guy. You're, I don't know, but but please release the video, Sir Jamie Green. It's great content. Yeah, man, it was cool, and I learned a little bit of German when I was over there. Yeah, yeah. I like the German language. It's a very stereotypically angry language, but it, it's a beautiful language too. Yeah, people used to laugh at me when I speak German because I'm speaking with the southern dialect and I'm speaking German. Can I hear it? Uh, like I would say something like, "Uh, uh, in can't you von in Deutsch?" <laughs> and uh, see, it sounds cool though. I like yeah. it. I like the way it sounds. Kannst du verstehen mich, wenn ich spreche Deutsch? That's not bad. Yeah, what yeah, did yeah. you just say? Can you understand me when I speak German? Ah, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I, I take it as you can't because you didn't respond. Well, I heard the word Deutsch. I heard the word Deutsch, so I mm-hmm. knew that was that meant German. But I, you know, I like the German language. I, um, <clears throat> like when I was there, like we, I, when I traveled Europe, it was us and mm-hmm. our four guys. Uh, the four guys total and each one of us kind of had like a different role so like one guy was in charge of like looking for the next airbnb or mm-hmm. hostel we'd be living in the other guy was responsible for um god or like the like information about that city what are things to do in that city my responsibility was learning languages mm-hmm. and just like okay um like just like let me let me pick up some <clears throat> phrases and so like every different like restaurant i'd go to like i would like Try to learn their language. There was this one restaurant right outside our apartment in Berlin. But he taught us this phrase. The phrase was, Einen schönen Tag noch, which is, uh, have a nice day. <laughs> but but he tested me on that the next day because that place was so good. We went back the next day. And we're like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for him to test me. And so <laughs> on my way out the door, I said, Einen schönen Tag noch. You know, I just, it was fun. I like, I just like how that language sounds. It's a cool language. Yeah, you know? it is. Like, uh, uh, let me see. Because, uh, ich spreche in Deutsch, aber ich verstehe dich nur, wenn ich langsamer. Like, I understand German, but I can only understand it if you speak slowly. Yeah, That's okay. That's what I just said. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I still remember a lot of it. It's just yeah. I don't have one to practice with. So, right. you know, it's cool. Well, speaking of the language of music, here mm-hmm. is... I think the last song of the EP, right? Because we've done three now. So this this should be the fourth. This is the best one. This is the best one, guys. Take a listen. Enjoy. Your glimmer shines across the entire night sky. Tell me where's your home? Are you here alone? Maybe you're just like me. You're here for me 
So now we've heard all your music. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautiful. I mean, you got you guys tell me on the other end. Did you guys like Sir Jeremy Green's music? I think it's really soulful. I think it's beautiful. You can definitely hear his influences and his worldly approach to his music. It's very. It's it's like it's relaxing. It's passionate. You know, it's good. How would you describe your music? Ethereal. What? Ethereal. Te- teach me this word of the day. I've never heard. No, this I was just word. playing. You never heard ethereal. What does ethereal mean? It like, sounds like Mike Tyson's trying to say cereal. Like a ambience, <laughs> like a oh okay, like Coldplay music. But I, I was just joking. <laughs> but I would say it's a, like I said, it's a hybrid, man. It's it's a lot of soul, passion, you know. Yeah, I'm coming from a place of uh, where I've never had the opportunity to record and release music, so that was my first time, like, you know, releasing music and putting a project out into the world. Yeah, and so uh, yeah. After your travels, when did you come back to America? When when did you come back to America? I moved back to the States in 2014. 2014? Mm-hmm, June 6th. I moved to Fort Carson, Colorado Springs. Gotcha. And there I was still in the Army at the time. Right. And that's when I began. Uh, I was attached to the Explosive Ordnance Division in the Army, working with explosives. Wow. And so I did that until July 3rd, 2015, when I moved here to Los Angeles. Was there a point? Were you given the choice to stay in the Army, or did you just want to leave at that point? Oh, yeah. I could have stayed. Yeah, the Army. Yeah. They... How, how come you left? Well, I, I feel like it was time for me to pursue music, you know? That makes sense. Like, yeah. the Army was cool, but there's a stigma that a lot of people tell you, don't get out of the Army, the ones who are in, because uh, there's a lot of fear of getting out, because it is a struggle once you're out. Like There's a lot out there that, yeah, that changes. Man. So it's like, I was ready to get out, man, you know? Sure. But it's amazing how our passions kind of like drive where we go. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 
when did you, did you move to LA right after that? Yeah, I moved to LA so after you, never being here. I just took one, that sure. one plane ride and I was here in LA. So your 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 culture shock kind of hit you double then because not only did you get go from military to to uh, civilian, but from switching to military to civilian, you you went to a place you've never been before. Yeah. And what was that like for you? Man, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, especially moving was directly it, into Hollywood. Was it difficult? No, it wasn't difficult. It was just like, uh, you know, being in the military, I was used to, like, strict protocols. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So moving and actually being free in a place where freedom is, like, the thing. Freedom here is the wave. Like, you can be who the hell you want to be in Hollywood. It's in, very in LA true. In general. Yeah. And so it, it took some time to adapt because I was so, like, strict. And You know what I mean? Like, I didn't even want to grow out my hair at a certain point because right. I was, like... You know what I mean? But now I grew out the hair. You, know? you definitely do. I think it looks yeah, good on you. Yeah, oh, right on. Appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> do, you, do you still have any troubles finding yourself and, and kind of like molding yourself to who you want to be? Or No, not not really because, you know, I, I to answer that, I, I'll tell you this. I met someone who was like, a, they were talking about how they want to be different with the music and they would ask me, what do I do? Like, how you, what can I do to be different? I'm like, man, just be yourself. That's, yeah. You know what I mean? What do you mean? How you to be different? Just be yourself. <laughs> I mean, but like for some people, that's that's harder said than done. Yeah, but that's my secret, bro. I just be myself. Like, right. You can't be anyone else but you. The funny thing is, I think I think that question is asked more often than not, mm-hmm. and I think what people don't realize is that you're born different anyway. Yeah, like you know. Even if you're, you're even if you're born the twin sibling to another sibling, you're gonna be different. Yeah, you know, like I I knew in in middle school these two kids named Bobby and and I think Stephen Blackburn, mm-hmm. uh, the Blackburn twins, and the way that I identified Bobby is that he had a mole on his forehead, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And and they otherwise they looked completely identical, but the biggest thing that differed their personalities was that one was shy and the other one was extroverted. And that that's kind of how you knew that mm-hmm. who was who besides the mole. Mm-hmm. But other than that, though, like, they were totally different people. Um, one thing that was funny, though, was one day, I remember them, like, the A-period biology class. Mm-hmm. They one day came to school wearing matching outfits, and they purposely switched chairs <laughs> just to mess with the teacher. And the teacher, Mrs. Dixon, she was a wonderful lady. She was doing the roll call. And then she gets to Stephen Blackburn and looks at Stephen Blackburn, then goes, wait a second, looks at Bobby Blackburn, sees that they're wearing something very similar, walks up to Bobby Blackburn, looks for his mole, spots it, says, get back in your chair. And That's they, funny. That was, they switched chairs. That was so great. They they did every single class like that together because they had a few classes together. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had gotten to witness more, you know? But, oh, man, so funny. Yeah, I know a set of twins, but... I could tell them I could tell them apart. You know, I grew up with them. I could because them individuality like, yeah, yeah. is natural. Yeah, yeah. You just right. you just know like even when they try to do like role plays and like trying to switch it, I'm like, I know that's not you. You know what I mean? I, that's right. you. You know oh, now if they send a picture, I'll be like, Okay, I don't know who that but in person I'm like, Okay, I could tell who's who. It's listen, it's I, I get it. It's it's hard to find yourself. Mm-hmm. Thing is, though, I, I I believe that we're always constantly changing, and that's a whole separate rant that I one day want to put on my Patreon. Hey, mm-hmm. nice plug for the Patreon. Go check out the Patreon. Yeah. But um, <laughs> um, but I believe that we always are changing consistently, even 
this second that I'm speaking right now, I'm different than the person I was a second prior. Yeah, because you learn it. Learning about people and their experiences shapes your own like mental like a hundred percent. You yeah. know, you, you know, there are different perspectives that we exchange, and it helps you grow as a person, and it helps the other person grow, and it's like, uh, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 the thing that that keeps us uh, three dimensional, mm-hmm. and I I I love that. And if anyone listening to the other end ever has an issue with figuring out who they are, just remember that. There's no, there's almost no point in stressing who you are and you should embrace, you know, the moment you learn how to embrace yourself and love yourself is the moment that you find a certain sense of companionship with someone else. You know, I love, love, loving yourself does tremendous things. And the first step is accepting yourself. Just be yourself. Like just be yourself. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, when did you, when, when you, when you came to LA though, Coming mm-hmm. back to your story, when did you uh, join the Musicians Institute? I joined the Musicians Institute actually three months after I got here. Yeah, so I went to Musicians Institute from 2015 until 2017. Was that a competitive environment? In a sense. But yeah. when I say competitive, I mean, that's that's really no competition with the other musicians or like, I don't see it as a competition, but far as competitive as in uh competing against yourself to stay up on time and yeah to stay up with your um to make sure all of your work is done and complete on time and learn the songs in a proper manner mm-hmm. like the time the time uh yeah there's there's a time limit that you have to learn the songs and everything oh yeah so you're in competition with yourself not necessarily any other musicians but yeah it's pretty competitive no i totally get that mm-hmm but what what did that do for you psychologically after after coming from the army and and having been out for you said six years? Oh no no I I, I had been out because I did I did eight years total eight years my six bad. years active and then I did two years National Guard when I moved here to L A. Wow! So while I was in school here in L A. I was still two years signed two years National Guard. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah so I was doing National Guard and the schooling. But it wasn't hard to adapt, actually, because I had the discipline already, and I was fresh out. So me sitting down, learning a particular song. Plus, I was new, and everything seemed so interesting to me because it was all new, like learning about chords and the harmony and theory. So I was sitting like a little nerd and just learning everything and piecing it all together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With adjusting to society. Uh, Well, to me personally, I think, I mean... There's no other, I don't know, let me see how to put this. To me, uh, society outside of the military still has some catching up to do. I think they, uh, I mean, not to sound biased or vain, it's just that in the Army you're taught, uh, you're taught levels of respect. You respect everyone, no matter their rank, no matter their creed or color, you know. But out here, it's like, uh, you know, it's kind of dated, I would say. Sure. Yeah. And I get that. Mm-hmm. I, I think we need some, we, we have some catching up to do in terms of, like, how we treat each other. Yeah. You know? Because in the Army, I have black friends. I have Arabic, Hispanic. Yeah. Uh, white, blue, green. It doesn't matter. Like, that's my brother. How do you teach society? How do you give society a choice of, like, free will while... Enlisting discipline and camaraderie. 
Because I think those are the two major things mm-hmm. that, that that is the brand of of the military. Mm-hmm. You know, but how do you how do you do that while still allowing someone to be a civilian? You know, I don't know. It, it's it's tough. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like because people have all kinds of backgrounds, and there some people are just stuck in their ways. Now with the military, we were sort of forced to be together. Sure. Even if I don't like you. I'm still forced to be there with you. I'm still forced to train with you. <laughs> I eat with you. I shower with you. I sleep with you. I, I go to the mall. Every, everywhere I go, you're there. Right. So I'm sort of forced to kind of adapt to your ways, and you're forced to adapt to mine. And it, yeah. it forms this sort of camaraderie. And it's like, I can't explain it, man. It's a brotherhood that I never that I never changed, man. I believe in Singapore, now that you say it, I believe mm-hmm. in Singapore, um, one thing the government does, they regulate where people live. Uh, when it comes to apartment complexes. And so in these apartment complexes in Singapore, they actually do require, they do have like a um, uh, a quota in terms of uh, mixed races in a certain building. Mm-hmm. So where here, our society is very gentrified. There's a white area. There's a black area. There's, an, uh, there's a, a tech area, which is filled with many Asians. Unfortunately, the, there are these different separations of class and people and That's race a damn you know shame. it's a damn shame <laughs> but in singapore i'm pretty sure it's singapore where they have a quota on uh mixing the races in certain apartment complexes mm-hmm. so you have um you have buddhists living with jews living with christians living with muslims living with etc and it goes on and on and on like that and it's kind of a neat thing mm-hmm. and i wonder if that somewhat helps because it seems like a pretty peaceful area it does help, you know, because, like I said, there's a lot of stigma and um, yeah. stereotypes about people, like, of different colors and races. We think this about this person. Sure. We think all black people like watermelon and fried chicken, although that is pretty good. Everybody <laughs> likes watermelon. Everybody yeah. likes fried chicken. Right, So how can you right. just put that on one race or, gen- you know what I, I mean? Know. Like, so I think people should understand that they have to be open-minded and want to learn about other... They should learn about other cultures and, like I said, travel. I couldn't say it better myself. Traveling opened my eyes, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I traveled for two months through Europe, um, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the world because I, I had the biggest culture shock mm-hmm. when I in, in the first country I went to, and then eventually I became numb to that culture shock, you know? Yeah, because um, I used to think Germany, when I first found out I was moving to Germany, yeah. I was thinking it's going to be like, Tents and things tents? that you see in the movies. Yeah. Oh, like, okay. I was very naive, man. Like, yeah. It was like, and then when I get there, I'm like, whoa, this is dope. When I first stood foot in Berlin, it very quickly became one of my favorite cities to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you didn't go to Berlin. No, right? I've never been in Berlin, which is crazy. The thing is, when you step foot in Berlin, you realize that everything that everything major that happened in the 21st century happened there mm-hmm. you know um you see different buildings that were monumental to world war ii you see the brandenburg gate uh they have the holocaust museum there which is really beautiful stepping outside of world war ii though you also see um you see the, the, the for example there was this one very strange line that would go along the cobblestone that would kind of like it was very weird. It was like this ugly scar mm-hmm. that kind of went along the cobblestone. It would disrupt the cobblestone pattern. And it would go even up vertically up these different buildings' walls. And I had no idea what this line was. But as you're listening, you can probably guess what the line was. But the line marked where the Berlin Wall was. And it made a point to the fact that the Berlin Wall 
was made in such a destructive way that it didn't care where uh, buildings were. As a mm. matter of fact, there was this no-go zone during World War II, which was this the, the largest cathedral that Berlin had. It was beautiful. It was this huge, monumental cathedral that had mm. been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the communists uh, lined it with TNT, and they completely leveled the building. Damn. Because it needed, the Berlin Wall needed to be there. You know they have pieces of the... Uh the wall around certain yeah. parts of Germany. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah. I, I've seen some. I, I touched it. It was a beautiful. Well, you probably should have. Yeah, it's limestone and right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but you know, it, it... wait, I shouldn't have. Yeah, limestone is it's poisonous. Um, but I'm sure they probably cleaned it since then. I don't know. But... You know, I've been wondering why uh, my my left hand has been feeling weird for the longest time. Oh, well, that that could be it. Like every now and then, like I don't have any feeling in my left hand. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was to keep people from uh, climbing over the wall back in the day. That's disturbing. Not to mention the guys on top with guns and shit. So, right. Like, yeah. It's disturbing. And it's, as soon as they saw someone running across, they would just gun you down. Yeah, that's terrible. It's terrible. Um, all for political ideology. Mm-hmm. And that's just so disturbing to me. The Berlin Wall was an ugly mark in history unfortunately. it is man it really is but yeah there are pieces of it all around germany yeah like they have it as a decoration out of some parts of the city yeah well anyway though i i just i love traveling mm-hmm. and and we need to open our mind up as a society you know there's just so much fear now i think part of it has to do with education mm-hmm. and people like everyday people there's not having opportunities to step out of their turtle shell and you know be able to open their eyes to a concept yeah it's like the lack of knowledge man it's yeah like- also, I think one thing is that like technology is allowing us to 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 not have to face challenges sometimes, mm-hmm. and those challenges are very necessary in, in order for us to develop. Yeah, you know, uh, like for example, uh, I remember sometimes like if I asked a question like what 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 was a certain vocabulary word that I never heard of, then um, like for example when you said ethereal earlier, mm-hmm. I had never heard that word before. You never? No, never. Well, you said ambiguous. The other day. Ambiguous, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard that word before, but I've never heard it in context. Right. So I was oh, so that's how it works. Right, sure. This is ambiguous. Right, that's but see, if I was in a scenario like that as a kid, my parents would have said, look it up in the dictionary. Mm-hmm. But now I could just summon that information with my phone, just mm-hmm. bloop, there. And it's like, what? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, we have the crazy. whole library in our in our hands. But right we now. have a satellite, uh, everything. Like I can pull up Egypt and go to satellite view and see what it looks like in Egypt from my phone. Right. A live satellite view is crazy. It's wild. It's really wild. What it's, kind of information? Yeah, we the have. age of technology, man, is crazy. Right. It really is. So it's just it just these different off balances of information and and just different ways that we can like, like you said, um, like like just like just shape up as a society. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's really great. Well, anyway, though, Sir Jeremy Green, if yes, someone sir. on the other end right now listening to this wanted to contact you and work with you, collaborate with you, etc. What's the best way to reach out to you? You can find me on all social media under Sir Jeremy Green. And my email address is sirjeremygreenbooking at gmail.com. Sweet. See, I like to make it easy because people are like, where does Sir Jeremy Green come from? Is it, were you knighted by the queen? That's one thing everyone asks. But well, I'm were, like. Were you? No, no, no. <laughs> but I believe it like this. You know, this is, you know, the name doesn't define a person. You know, if I want to call myself hell whatever you know what I mean but I I want to make it easy because I want to keep my name original but 
it's hard for people to find Jeremy Green on social media because there's so many Jeremy Greens. So, you know, I thought, hey, he was either Mr. or Sir. Yeah. I like the way Sir sounds. So, right. Yeah, Sir Jeremy Green is cool. So, Jeremy Green, thank you so much for coming out today. To wrap up this podcast, I have to ask you the question I ask everybody on this mm-hmm. podcast. What will you be famous for? What will I be famous for? You know, famous as this bottle of Etso hanging outside of my wall is is like this light that says fame is fleeting. Perfection is just being myself, you know, like making music from the heart, uh, telling stories. You know, that's what my music is all about. I'm telling stories. I'm a... I'm expressing myself through music as it's an extension of the way I feel, you know. I'm not that I'm not that good with words and conversation, you know, being in touch with uh well, I'm very in tune with myself, you know, through music, I'm able to uh express myself to others and, you know, it's sort of like you're in my head and, you know, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it makes 100% sense. All right, huh? <laughs> Well, Sir Jamie Green, it's been nothing but a privilege to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much. And oh, thank you. Thank yeah. Oh, wow. What a great episode. This production took time, energy, and money to produce. To support the growing business of this podcast, go to www.patreon.com slash mrthrive to become a thriver today. That is patreon.com slash mrthrive. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.